You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday, October 20th, and that means the Staples Show, and we got a fun one lined up for you today. We had a quick podcast after the game the other day. I was feeling a little pressure to get out of the press box, uh, or actually, I think that was the radio booth, and they were like, I'm sure you hear things in the background. They were slamming stuff, Ryan. It was it was kind of uncomfortable, so I was, I was looking to get out of there. <laughs> On the road, finding a place to do the podcast is always kind of like a challenge. But, you know, I went back and rewatched the game. We're going to have more thoughts on what happened in that Titans game. Some 30,000-foot view discussion on where the Bills are at after six games. And we're going to bring on Jeremiah Searles, former Bills offensive lineman, played for the Minnesota Vikings as well. Uh, had, a, had a couple stops in the NFL. And we'll bring his knowledge uh, to the program here tonight. We'll, he'll be, we'll be joined by him in a little while. But first, let me welcome in Ryan Talbot. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, I went back, rewatched the game, too. I think you and I will probably be on the same page with with a lot of what we saw when we watched the game back. Uh, a game that I think the Bills eight out of 10 times, seven out of 10 times win that game. They get that extra yard. They they set it up and, and score late. But definitely an interesting game as well, because if the right opposition has the right mix of talent and offense, it can make it very difficult for this defense or any defense to stop a team like that. We'll get into, you know, obviously a lot of offense. I mean, Jeremiah Searles played offense and, you know, really has brought that knowledge to the program in the past. And I kind of want to diagnose maybe what problems, if any, there are on this offensive line. We'll, we'll dive into that with him a little bit. Um, we'll talk Josh Allen. We'll talk this offense, how Emmanuel Sanders has fit in, how potentially the Bills will fare offensively without Dawson Knox potentially for a few weeks, depending on how the recovery uh, goes for the the broken hand, which uh, was reported earlier in this week. He had successful surgery, uh, and so we'll see how that plays out. I want to get into some defensive thoughts as well. We're going to talk about Tua Tagovailoa, Deshaun Watson, the rumors that are circulating all over the place. We'll get into that a little bit later, and then we'll probably get into some trade uh, potential trade targets for the Bills. Uh, I don't have as many players. I think Ryan will probably have some. He's, he's kind of putting the the early. He's in the early stages of a piece that will go up later in the week. But um, I want to talk about maybe positions that I think if if Brandon Bean was out there looking for something, 
you know, maybe a position or two that might, might make sense. Uh, and then the big close to the show, Ryan, we got the, the billboard contest. We got 15 entrants into the billboard contest tonight. We are going to spin the wheel and we are going to f- pick five winners. Three will get t-shirts. One will get uh, a guest appearance on a future episode of shout. And one will get dinner and drinks, chicken wings, uh, ex- uh, extravaganza with Ryan Talbot and Matt Perino. Uh, on a on a future date, and that'll be fun. We'll do that at the end of the show. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, this week, or any time, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Make sure you get to Tops uh, ASAP to get stocked up. Ryan, what was your biggest takeaway? Now, like we mentioned, we went back and watched you know the the, the game back. What was your biggest takeaway? Um, you do a, a concern or, or a worried and encouraged piece. Looking back at it, if you were to rewrite that piece, where would you start in terms of your top takeaway on either side? Well, I, I think my top takeaway, and maybe it wouldn't fit into that article, is there's very few teams that can mimic what the Tennessee Titans did on offense. And what I mean by that is look across the landscape, Matt, of the NFL. Ryan Tannehill, he, he's not an elite quarterback, but he is a guy that can win games. He, he's good enough to win games. But what they do have is a bowling ball of a running back who is, I think, the best running running back in the NFL. And then they have two guys that could be number one wide receivers on a lot of teams and Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. And mind you, Julio did exit the game late with a hamstring injury. It's been something that's been uh, nagging at him these last few seasons, injuries that is during his time with Atlanta and now uh, here in Tennessee. But that's like the perfect storm because when you have a guy like Derrick Henry, the Bills can't just say, well, we're going to focus on the passing game. They had to make sure that they were uh, disciplined, that they were staying in their gaps it, out of fear for the run game. There was a, there was one snap late in the game where you saw Trey White, you saw at least one of the safeties kind of running backwards because they were playing so close to the line thinking it was going to be a run play. I, I think if you're a Bills fan, my, my final takeaway is there's very few teams that can match what the Titans have offensively, talent-wise, that can make the Bills' defense scramble the way that they did. What about you? Yeah, I, I like that because I feel like the aura of Derrick Henry, like we went into that game and I was talking so much about the the success that the Bills were having against him, you know, in the in the in the first three matchups of his career. But the truth of the matter is there's an aura about facing Derrick Henry and what he can do. And I think when you come out in the first quarter and you see a big time play like he made running 76 yards and we could talk about the, the holding on the calls, the play. I mean, there was probably two that maybe would have fallen in a bucket of holding there. I think we talked about it live. It did. It sure did look like it, especially seeing the immediate replay. But I, I also understand the logic like, you know, there's there's probably holding on every play of the game. So, I mean, the, you're going to have games, you're going to have plays like that. And unfortunately, in that game, the Bills were on the wrong side of a holding call on the kick return for a touchdown when they nabbed uh, Andre Smith. But I think because of the focus on Derrick Henry and then when he hits early like that, it really du- makes forces you to double down on your attention spent on him. And I thought they did a really good job outside of that run on Derrick Henry. I think he had one or two other big time runs on the game. And a lot of the the rest of it was just pounding down on you, wearing you down over the course of the game. And eventually, you know, as the, as the Tennessee Titans got into a rhythm, I felt like they were starting to, you know, uh, get to the spot a little quicker than the, than the bills. And I think Sean McDermott talking about, you know, inability to shed blocks. You saw that late in the third quarter into the fourth quarter where, you know, plays that they were probably making earlier in the game, they, they weren't being made as consistently down the stretch. 
And when that's the case, it allows a guy like AJ Brown, who's so good, you're not going to keep him down for a super long time. You're just not because he's just so good. We saw the way that they use him too. you know, getting the ball out of, out of his hand, out of Ryan Tannehill's hands quickly, getting it over that second level that, of the linebackers and letting him work a little bit. He was able to kind of take advantage of, of some of that time. So I think that what you were in a situation was you came out, your offense played a really good four quarters of football outside of some struggles in the red zone. And you were in a spot at the end with the ball in Josh Allen's hands to win it. And that's where you want to be. Like everybody, everybody said that from Micah High, Jordan Poyer, Dawson Knox, Sean McDermott, even that's what 10 out of 10. I want the ball in Josh Allen's hands. That's what Josh, I'm comfortable with that play with Josh Allen, you know, getting the ball there. So you got what you wanted. You just didn't convert. You probably converted on most times. Uh, I like the way that they drove down the field in that spot. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of things to, you know, dissect that didn't happen the way we expected it. Most glaring for me was the defensive line. Only two quarterback hits on Ryan Tannehill over the course of four quarters. That is just not getting the job done. Right. And I know they were, they, they, they activated Harrison Phillips and they deactivated AJ Epinesa to focus in on the run. But man, against that offensive line, especially after Taylor Luan goes out, you have to be able to affect the quarterback more. Yeah, absolutely. And early in the season, there was the the stat about get-off time, and A.J. Epineza was at tops in the league. And I was curious to see what it was going into this matchup, the Monday night matchup. And Epineza was still number one in the NFL in terms of crossing the line of scrimmage from the time the ball is snapped. So he, he is very quick off the snap. And those opportunities to beat your man because you are so fast, you are so quick the the bills were lacking that you know jerry hughes had a few good snaps especially early in the game where it looked like he had his guy beat but Tannehill got it out so quickly they just weren't getting it consistently over over the the four quarters and one pressure to you know kudos to harrison phillips it was right up the gut he came in he flew in he just tackled uh Tannehill a second too late on that play but for the most part, I think it was one play by Hughes, one play by Tannehill. Uh, I think that their focus on stopping the run maybe kept them a, a little bit from being uh, – they didn't want to get caught being over-aggressive, pursuing the quarterback when Derrick Henry had the ball and all of a sudden he's two or three yards in front of you. And there was one case where the Bills had a batted ball on – it might have been a first down play. And the second down play, they gave it to Henry. And Rousseau was being a little bit aggressive, couldn't get to Henry in time by the time the ball was in his hands. And that was one of those 20-yard runs that he had late in the game that you were talking about two or three more big runs that he had so you know it's concerning though because the the bills went to that afc championship last year and their big takeaway was we need more of a pass rush and their first two picks this year are greg rousseau and boogie basham they took aj epineza with their first pick in the 2020 draft which which fell in the second round and to have two of those three players inactive is a little bit of a head scratcher and yes they're young players and and uh, they're just scratching the surface. You have vets like Addison and Hughes, but you brought them in for a reason. You drafted them for a reason, and they're only going to get better with time and experience on the field. So um, I would have at least liked to have seen AJ Epineza active for that matchup. That's a great point. And you know, as we wait for Jeremiah to get in here, I was going to say this for the, for later in the the show, but we can get into this right now in terms of trade targets. For me, I I don't know what's available out there right now in terms of player. Um, I think that, you know, the tough thing about the trade deadline being two weeks away, you know, we still may be a week away from somebody, you know, marquee name maybe being available after a, a team takes maybe another big time loss uh, coming up here in week seven. But 
I think that going along with what you said to me, if I was Brandon Bean and I was going to sell out, you know, I don't know, I shouldn't say sell out. If I was going to go big at the trade deadline for me, it's a pass rusher. I don't know what did that, what that equals up to. I don't know if it's interior exterior. I was really underwhelmed watching that game back with Effie Obata. He was almost invisible to me. And, you know, you gave him the start because of his versatility. He had a good game against the Chiefs in a big time game against a, an offensive line that was, you know, ripe for the picking. I mean, they were, you, you were going to have success in this game no matter what, almost no matter who you activated when it came to rushing the passer. And for a guy like Effie Obata not to get the job done with AJ Epinesa inactive, it just didn't do it for me. And we were high on him going into the year. And so that was surprising. I thought going back, watching it, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes were the two best pass rushers in this game for the Bills consistently. I thought Addison had a pretty good game, but it's the, it's the same story, Ryan. I almost feel like those two guys are the perfect examples of, you know, the Robin, you know, of the situation. They need a Batman. And I, I don't think that the Batman currently exists on this defensive line. I think they drafted Ed Oliver in a lot of ways to be the Batman. I mean, you go and look at Aaron Donald. You go and look at the way that the, the the Rams have kind of had their defensive line over the years. They've kind of put some pass rushers around them. They've had some talent. I mean, uh, Leonard Floyd was there for a little while. Uh, Brockers, Michael Brockers, you know, pieces that were good pass rushers, but they weren't the superstar. Aaron Donald was always that. Ed Oliver hasn't been that star pass rusher. And so I think Jerry Hughes, to really unlock Jerry Hughes, you need him to be you need him to be playing alongside of another marquee name. I don't know if that name exists. I mean, you look what the Chiefs did a couple of years ago, going out and trading for Frank Clark, and I think that that really helped catapult their defense to the next level. And listen, it's overreaction time. It's the bye week, right? It's one game. But I'm saying if I was Brandon Bean and I was looking for a trade target, it would probably be a defensive end. Well, you know, I'm going to give uh, our friend Jeremiah a perfect entrance here where I'm going to say I would maybe look at an offensive lineman. I would try to bring in someone that can uh, push these starting guards. And listen, I know the Bills really like John Feliciano. They really like Daryl Williams. But what if you can get someone that is great at pass blocking and is solid in terms of pass protection? Someone that maybe knows the you know the bills know pretty well a uh, former carolina panther in fact and i'm, I'm going to drop a name here matt andrew norwell he's currently with the jacksonville jaguars uh he was in carolina he, he obviously the bills are familiar with him very talented guy i believe he's tops in the nfl right now in terms of uh run block in, in terms of his wins in that percentage so he's playing a good fo- a good brand of football right now but if you look in jacksonville they're not competing this year, obviously. And if they can get a, a decent pick for a guy like Norwell, uh, someone that's, uh, you know, a veteran that's not going to want to be there for a long-term rebuild, why not maybe pull the trigger on a trade like that? So that's the, where my mind is going. Obviously, we can talk about some tight end options as well, depending on how long Knox could be out if the Bills want to go that route. They do have two guys on the practice squad, but uh, I, I'd be targeting some offensive linemen. Jeremiah Searles in the house. What's up, What's fellas? Up, my man? How are you? My sorry, I was carving pumpkins with the wife and the kids, and I was elbow deep in pumpkins. She's like, "You can't just leave me." I was like, "I, I gotta go. I got things to do. People <laughs> see. People talk about." You made the right choice. You always leave us hanging for a little bit. Sorry. We we could kill some time. I, I just I'm... came from the farm with the kids. We picked some apples this mm-hmm. afternoon. I had to rush home get some quick dinner. We're all living that life. How are you, man? How, how how's life? How you doing? 
No, life is great right now, guys. Besides my Huskers being terrible at football, um, <laughs> life is not so bad. Um, we're hanging out here in Lincoln. The weather's finally starting to turn. Get that fall weather back up and rocking and rolling, which is nice. Um, hang out here. And uh, I just actually passed my exam to be an agent. So I'm now a certified NFL agent as Ooh, well. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So start working on that and getting guys signed for hopefully coming out of the draft next year. And then just four more games left for the Huskers doing the sideline reporting for them, which has been a blast. And just kind of keep cruising along through life. Being a dad, I got a seven-month-old daughter who hates sleep. So <laughs> just dealing with that on a nightly basis, too. Well, here's the here's the trick. As a guy that's gone through it twice, Please. and I'm sure you already have some from, from the first go-around. But what I used to do is I used to keep the Xbox ready to go. Mm. So, like, when I was in that, like, two- to three-hour lull overnight, at least I can get some gaming in. You know, you know, I'm, I, I worked it so well that I, I could feed the baby on the one arm and still play, move both joysticks at the same time. You gotta have skills for that. That's dedication. And you, you definitely, you worked at that. You, 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 you put in the time you grinded in the off season for that one. You had the baby doll with the bottle, the whole bit. I cannot do that. I have tried mostly because I get so angry. I'll be like, and then she'll wake up. But. Well, jumping in with the Buffalo theme here, uh, Ryan, I agree with you in the fact of like offensive linemen, but they're at a premium across the league right now. You look at any team. I just did a Vikings podcast earlier today with our guy, Matthew Collar. Shout out, Matthew Collar. And we were talking about the same thing. It's like, we need offensive linemen. I was like, everybody needs offensive Mm -hmm. linemen. Like if you across the league right now, if you really look at the averages, there's the really, really goods, the elites, right? And then there's kind of everybody else. There's not really that middle tier of like, they're a solid offensive line. It's like they have glaring needs. Every offensive line besides maybe Cleveland when they're fully healthy. But I mean, even look at them. They got both tackles out, right? And you look at guys like Dallas, who they have Lyle Collins. I think he'll be back after his drug, but they've been staying fairly healthy. They've been winning. And so you look across the league at this, the teams that have been doing really well is because they've been staying healthy at offensive line and they have good players. Andrew Norwell would be a great fit for Buffalo, but what do you give up for him? Or the bigger question is what does Jacksonville feel like they can ask for, for a guy like that? Cause everyone in the league is looking at a guy like that going, yes, we want him. Like his price tag is super high right now. What, what do you think that price tag would be? If, if you were to guess, it depends. It depends how much Norwell would be like, I want out, right? If Norwell's banging on the door down in Jacksonville, like, dude, we got a joke going on down here. We got a head coach that no one respects. We've got, like, I want out, and he's going to raise a stink, maybe a little bit lower. But, I mean, you're giving up at least a third-round pick for a guy like that. I mean, and the other thing is you're taking on a big cap pick because he's on a fairly large contract, if I recall. I don't know exactly when it ends, but I know at one point it was the largest contract in the league. $18 million dead cap or $15 million cap hit this year, $16 million next year. So I don't even really think the Bills, I mean, they'd have to do some real wiggle. Real wiggle yeah, yeah. Roster gymnastics. Real reshuffling. I mean, <clears throat> and that always works for one, but kicking the can down the road always comes back to like catch you. I mean, look at the, what the Vikings did in 2017, 2018, right? They, they signed Kirk for the big deal and they just kind of mm-hmm. reshuffled everyone. And then in 2020, they had to blow the whole team up because you can't pay everyone. Even like, Kansas City. Like, I feel like Uh what's going on with their offensive line right now. I mean, Joe Tooney sounded great. The trade for Orlando Brown sounded great. They put all these pieces together. And to be honest with you, through six games, I mean, I'm no film expert, but I don't think that that offensive line has been as good as it was in the heyday of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, two years ago, even at parts last year before the injuries to Schwartz uh, and and Fisher. But, you know, 
once you kind of start doing that and, and overextending yourself, I think that's something that Brandon Bean wants to avoid. And I, I yep. want to bring this up because Jeremiah, you've been beating that drum for a while now. You're ready to free Ike Butker. I mean, is that a guy that should be in the lineup every game going forward? And and how do you shuffle the deck to get him there? You know, the hard part with a guy like Ike is he played good football for you on the playoff front last year, right? I mean, I thought he did at least. I mean, I, I'm no, again, I'm not a guy that's going to sit there and be like, he was the best guard of all time, but he got you to the AFC championship. I mean, he was in there when you're making an AFC championship run and Cody Ford was not. So then they go back to Cody Ford this year and then they try and move Daryl in. Who's, I mean, Daryl was an all pro right tackle at one point when he's in Carolina before he got hurt. Now, granted, I will say Spencer Brown is playing pretty good football. I think for a rookie, he's shown up the last two games in a big way and playing really good football for them. So you want to get him on the field. You're paying Feliciano a good amount of money. You're not going to take him off the field unless maybe you take Mitch Morris off the field. Do you make John go to center and put Ike then at left guard? I mean, you've got to do something. My thing is if we're sitting here going, what's happening? Why can't we find anything? It's time to start shuffling the lineup again, right? They're, they're not afraid to do it. Bobby Johnson's not afraid to put someone new in here and new there because he's always said from the get-go, the best five guys will play. Maybe not the t- most five talented guys, but the best five offensive linemen that work together to get things done will play. Maybe Ike's a part of that key. Maybe it's not. I mean, there's a reason they tendered him. They didn't just tender him to come hang out on the bench. I mean, I think they want him to contribute, but where do you put him? Because they're paying him $2 million this year. Yeah, no, it's it's a valid point. Now, you mentioned Spencer Brown. In terms of what you've seen from him so far, what stands out the most in terms of uh, the positive traits that you've seen? You know, his pass protections improved a lot from college. Um, I actually watched him at Northern Iowa debating if I wanted to go ahead and see if recruit him or not. And we did, and we lost out. And he, he I always said, man, his he's tall, and I'm not sure how great he can bend against elite competition. Because at Northern Iowa, you watch your tape and you think, okay, but he's not going against elite competition week in and week out. He's shown up really well. These, his hands have improved drastically in the pass protection game. He's striking guys with those long arms, those long levers, keeping them away from getting inside on his body. But as I will say that, once you've played two, three games in this league, the book is out on you. And that's the difference between college and the NFL. The NFL studies you to such an exact science as an offensive lineman, the way I used to study pass rushers, that you find their weakness, you find what they're good at, and you start trying to exploit it. And so I won't be surprised if maybe some guys start trying to exploit what they can see on the All-22 tape that we can't always see because the NFL game pass is an absolute wreck right now. (laughs) But the fact that you can try and go in there and look at it from the All-22 and say, what's he not doing good at? Okay, he's good with his arms. Let's try and get him to flip his hips. Hey, he's not great with the bull rush. Let's go right into him and try and change it up on him a little bit, which we'll probably see from some good rushers that he'll face here in the next few weeks. I'm going to be interested to see what the plan is coming out of the bye because I think you gave, you had some two back to back high profile games. You throw Spencer Brown into the fire here with, uh, you know, Kansas City and Tennessee back to back in prime time. I think that, you know, where there's some, where there's some, Bad plays, sure. I yeah. think that you know he was responsible uh, for the block that led to the tip that led to the interception, and I think that you know they're going to have those. I mean, this is not only did he not even play last year. That's something that we got to talk about. He didn't mm. even play football last year. Same thing for Gregory Rousseau, third round draft pick in his first start, kind of after an injury in the preseason. There's going to be some lumps, so I'm not concerned about that. But I think if you're to your point, if you're Bobby Johnson, if you're if you're Brian Dable and Sean McDermott. You do want to land on a five sooner, quicker than later. I've always been surprised at their willingness to kind of play the slow game with that. 
no in no rush to find that five, that group of five. They'll they'll have Ford for a couple games. They'll put Buck, Bucker in. They'll put Feliciano. They'll they'll kind of you know they had uh, Brian Winters for a stretch. Mm. Spencer Long. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. For me. I've always subscribed and I'm not a football coach. I've always subscribed to the idea of get your five just from talking to guys, get your five and then let them get that chemistry, that continuity you needed out there. Is it that important? It is. I I really think it is. I think it's important to have that, that ability to play together for more than one year. Because so many times, if you have a guy that, for example, let's take Spencer Brown, right? He's playing his first NFL real life. He's not really focusing on what his left guard is or his right guard is doing with him. He's focused on, hey, I got this werewolf sitting outside of me. I got to block this guy 90% of the time. And then when it's a run play, it's like, hey, we'll talk. Hey, we got this guy to that guy, right? And then, But as you start to be able to play with the same guys year after year, OTA after OTA, training camp after training camp, preseason, regular season, you start to just know how the other person works. Okay, I know how we're going to make this combo block. I know how he's going to fit this block and how I need to fit this block. It's no longer like everyone's like, well, yeah, you're just double teaming to that guy. It's like, yeah, it's easy. But how do you fit that double team? How do you fit that footwork so that it's a seamless? I mean, your hips are moved together. How do you pass off that TE? Do you trust that guy next to it? He's going to snap the penetrator so you don't get ear hold, right? There's so many things that happen throughout a game, throughout a season, throughout, I mean, each little individual play that you don't think about that working next to a guy. It's like, how many TEs have Daryl John or Daryl Williams and Spencer Brown passed off? Probably in practice, but guess what? You didn't work through that all during training camp and OTAs. Same thing with how many TTs or how many ace blocks where it's the combination between the center and the guard did Daryl and Mitch Morris work mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, those are all things that, yes, you know what the block are. You know what the assignment is. You know what the technique is. But working together isn't always the easiest thing. It's not always so easy to just be like, oh, you two just go do this block. Well, how do you fit it? How do I fit it? How do we fit it in game speed? It's one thing to fit it in practice. It's one thing to fit it against against cards. But when you're fitting against defensive linemen that are getting paid millions of dollars too, it's a whole different world. And so the more reps you can get, the live reps is super important. And so that's just going to keep taking more and more time, which I know is not what Buffalo fans want to hear. No, absolutely. What? You know, there was a good question here from PJ about is it too late to bring in an O-lineman because of the gel? Uh, that You know, having to have those guys gel together. I guess you could also ask is it wise for the Bills to shuffle the deck, so to speak, even if it is a guy like Ike who's played a lot of significant reps last year, if it means putting him next to, um, hypothetically, maybe putting him next to a Spencer Brown, maybe those guys haven't worked together at all. So not just outside the the organization in terms of someone they could trade for. Uh, are, are you playing a dangerous game maybe by bringing in someone that hasn't worked next to someone else that's already on this roster? Well, that and anytime you bring someone in mid-season, you kind of, and I know not, this isn't what the top dogs think, but I'll tell you in the room, your guys kind of feel like you're giving them the finger, right? I mean, you have guys that have grinded through training camp, guys that have been there for two, three years now, and all of a sudden you're like, mm, we need to go outside these walls to find someone. It, it, it doesn't feel good. It's happened. I mean, it, I've been in teams where it's happened. I mean, you kind of give you guys the finger a little bit like, you're not good enough. We don't feel like you're good enough to help us win. And that can really create some issues, too. There's so much more that goes into it than just we need a better person at this position. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. We got Jeremiah Searles on the show. If you're just tuning in, thank you so much. It's a wonderful Wednesday night to talk Bills football. Mm. And uh, we're obviously brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. 
from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Hit that like button and subscribe as well. All right. We could talk offensive line all night. We'll probably get a little bit more into it in a minute. I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about one of the big questions right now uh, when it comes to this Bills offense, because if you're looking at it statistically, this is uh, you know a freight train that yeah. I, I bet you defensive coordinators are are staying up late hours, even over the course of a bye week, thinking about a, a future potential matchup with this offense, because I don't even think they put together their best game yet. There's issues happening in the red zone. If you go back to last year, they finished ranked 12th in the league. I think they were at about 57% in the red zone. Uh, it's down this year, and we're coming off of a game where, you know, turn one of those red zone trips early into a touchdown. It's a completely different game. I want to I want to kind of dial into that a little bit. And when you see a team that is this good on offense, that's that's having this much success moving the ball up and down the field, what's the problem when you get into the red zone, especially when you have a weapon so versatile like Josh Allen that you can deploy? Is this such something where maybe Brian Dable has too many options when he gets in close? I think the biggest thing, I mean, anytime you have red zone struggles, the number one thing is because the, the field shrinks on you. If you think about this Bills offense, it's deep ball attack, right? I mean, you've seen a lot of deep ball attacks to Diggs, to Emmanuel Sanders, to Dawson Knox down the seam, right? You, you see the deep shot. The deep shot's not there in the red zone. The deep shot is not a thing because everyone's in closer. Everything gets condensed. The timing gets sped up. Everything happens so much faster down in the red zone that it's almost like when you can't take the top off the defense, we don't really know what to do in the passing game. Well, what cures all that is a good running game in the red zone, which obviously we haven't really had. Josh Allen's a great threat, but you don't want to run Josh Allen 20 times in the red zone. That's just asking for an issue. That's asking for a big hit. That's asking for him sliding and taking concussion, right? There's a million different things that can go in there. We need a running back that we can rely on. Hey, we're going to run the ball in between the tackles and get into the end zone. It's not going to be a gimmick. It's not going to be a reverse or a shuffle pass, whatever. It's, hey, we're going to line up. We're going to run off tackle. We're going to run it in the end zone. Because when you do that, it then opens up the passing game that we talked about. You now have safeties that have to stand in the box because we know you only need to get 15 yards and you're not worried about the 20-yard run, but you're going to get five. You're going to get seven. And then all of a sudden, you're talking first and goal from the seven and the six. And you're just going to know, hey, we're just going to line up three times and run it because that's what we do. And you just haven't seen the Bills be able to do that in the red zone this year, which I think has been a huge part of what our struggles have been. And that kind of takes us to the run game a little bit. You know, the Bills have said they're going to ride the hot hand. Uh, obviously, week one, Singletary was the hot hand, Moss being inactive. And then we, we've kind of seen it flip back and forth in terms of who's performed better. Uh, at some point, do the Bills need to maybe just stick with one guy and, and let them get into some kind of rhythm? Or, or is this working well enough that it's still going to be the game plan here post by? My, my opinion is no one's taken the opportunity and ran with it yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, both guys have had the chances and I think that coach McDermott and I mean, I know coach Skip is sitting there come and he's just going to look at you (laughs) and he's just literally going to be like, who wants it? I mean, it's literally dangling here. The RB one position for the best offense in the NFL is dangling in front of both of you. Who's going to take that opportunity? And you just haven't really seen either one separate themselves from the pack yet. And so I think the biggest thing is, you're going to have to do running back by committee because you don't want to take the risk of, all right, we're just sticking with you today, Singletary. And then he's out there not doing well. And you're like, we're just going to ride it. We're just going to ride it. And then you lose a game. 
mm-hmm. and versus okay we're gonna okay you're not working we put Moss in maybe he brings a little bit of that spark maybe he he helps get the thing going in the run game so I think that the running back by committee thing is absolutely okay to go with you would like to see someone take off and and be the lead guy but it hasn't been a huge detriment to have two guys because again I think eventually one will maybe take a, a leap from the other one on the defensive side of the ball I mean we were talking about it a little bit before you got in here I. I I maintain that to your point, after hearing you talk about, you know, the offensive line and, and, you know, the, the development that's gone on there, going outside the organization and even for what you'd probably be able to get. We mentioned Norwell. Maybe that's outside of the Bills price range because we know where Brandon Bean, mm-hmm. you know, what he feels about his draft picks. And I don't know if he'd, he'd be willing uh, to give up as high as a third round draft pick. Who knows? Maybe he would be. But looking at this thing, where could the, the potential biggest impact player B, I think it's on this defensive line. I sit here and and you've gone up to, against them in you know in practices and training camp. I mean, I think Jerry Hughes is a really good player, mm. but I think he's a really good player at a at an at a later stage of his career that would benefit from being a Robin in a scenario where he's got a Batman on that off that defensive line, somebody that you can consistently rely upon to generate most of the pressure. I think they drafted Ed Oliver to be that. And to this point where I think he's been a lot better than some of his critics have argued against him. I don't think he's been that splashy player as a pass rusher. So what would you say there? I mean, you, you've watched this, this team a, a bit. I thought they did a really good job with their four man rush against the chiefs. Overall, if you take the entire body of work, I, I think they're lacking that big time premier pass rusher. And I think you need that, especially when the games get tougher in January and February. Yeah, I agree. And it's definitely left more to be desired from the front four. And that's why I think you've had to see Coach Frazier dial up a little bit more pressures. You get the double A gaps inside with Milano and Edmonds in there. You see Taron Johnson coming off the edge. And you love to be able in this league to get pressure with four. And and not sacks. I'm not saying you have to go sack the guy, but be able to get continual pressure, moving the quarterback off his spot, getting him out of the pocket, which, again, I thought the Chiefs, they did a great job of. Mm-hmm. But then this week, like Taylor Lewan, I mean, you know, Taylor Lewan, the starting left tackle for the Bills, right? I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> anyways, so, so Chris so, Broussard, <laughs> hide your children. No, oh, get out of here, dude. So anyway, so like, yeah, Taylor Lewan gets hurt for the Titans, right? And you're thinking, OK, here's where we're going to see some guys really start getting after it. And it just didn't mean. Questenberry, however you say, decent player, but he's not, he's not Lane Johnson. He's not Brian O'Neill. He's not one of the high paid right tackles. And we just didn't really see the pressures that you'd like to see off the edge. And a lot of that too, I think comes from, like you said, when you don't have a true ass kicker three technique, and I'm talking the, the Aaron Donalds, the Geno Atkins, the Mike Daniels in his heydays, the Fletcher Coxes, that you have to eat up a center and a guard to block that man. Like you have to make sure you slide to the three technique and it's not, Hey, we're going to slide to this guy. And then as soon as the center gets over here, tack or guard, you go get out to the tackle and help him out there, which is what I saw a lot of in this last game is they were bumping through the three technique or the two technique because the center was able to guard was able to stop his momentum center gathers. And then the guard got to the tackle. And so that I, I agree. I think that's the one key component that's missing is that big time interior pass rusher that Ed Oliver was supposed to be. But I played against Ed Oliver. He's a good player. He's just not quite big enough to go after these guys. And I was like, well, Aaron Donald, dude, that's a different level. <laughs> like that's that's a, a different level of human being. Like mm-hmm. not everyone that's going to be, oh, he's short. He's like Aaron Donald. Like that's not how this all works. And so I think that that's what I wanted him to do. And again, Ed's a great player. He's making some good things, but he's not the dude that they expected him to come in and be. 
I think we got to cut to sidetrack here a little bit. You brought up Chris Broussard there. And I, I think that that's interesting because man, we, we're in a weird place in 2021 where we got people that I don't even feel like they watch the sport talking no, about, about this stuff. I mean, Stephen A. Smith a couple of years ago made the big headlines when he was talking about Hunter Henry being the key to a game for the Chargers. He was he had been on IR all season long, <laughs> yes. and everybody's like, "God, the guy's not even playing right now." And if you missed it, Chris Broussard was evaluating the fourth and one call, and the the, the video's playing, and he said, "You know, well, the problem was that the Bills were playing with backups on their offensive line because their left tackle Taylor Lewan left the game earlier." When, when they showed Deion Dawkins, they said, well, Dawkins is in there, whoever that guy is. Wow. I mean, I tell people this all the time. Like, you got to turn that stuff off. ESPN's a joke. I'll be the first <laughs> one to say it. I'm sorry. ESPN, A, has way too much power. Like, they, like Disney owns those dudes. Every, like, they, they have unchecked power, and it's actually really ridiculous. And B, I agree with you. Half the time, people that are the talking heads have no idea what they're talking about. They're just blabbing their mouths. And it's frustrating to watch because it's like, oh, man, ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. And then you turn that on, you're like, this is trash. Like, this isn't good. Like, this isn't – it's not giving people good names and then everyone just kind of – yeah, but I think it's a joke. I think that's why I don't follow, like, what they say. I mean, I follow the beat writers from the teams that are on. I follow, like, your guys' show. I follow Matthew Collar's show. I have a buddy on set. Like, I just know that the local media follows the team so much more than what the big heads like to think that they know everything. I was looking at uh, some of the comments in here uh, and and somebody brings up AJ Epinesa. I thought it was a curious decision. He hasn't been as good in like the last two weeks. I mean, he hasn't popped as much, but I mean, he had a big time game against Miami. Were you surprised that they didn't, that they didn't play him this last weekend? I don't know what I didn't know. I I figured maybe he was dinged or maybe something happened. I mean, no no injury at all. Sean McDermott came out and said, it was uh, a matchup thing. He wanted to obviously go on ball, get some ball Harry for, you know, obviously going against the run, but to like about Afi Obata and, you know, Mario Addison, maybe playing a little bit better than them the last couple of days. But I mean, that's a guy in AJ Vanessa who I could, I'd argue has had the, the best singular game of any defensive lineman all season, what he did in that Miami game. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching it. I'm like, this dude, it finally clicked for him. Right. Like that's the kind of gamer you watch. And you're like, this dude, it finally clicked. He's going to be the dude. And then he just kind of fell off. I mean, I remember watching him in, in Iowa and like, man, this dude is legit, like legit, legit. And I was excited when the Bills drafted him and he's going to be a dude. But there's something there. There's a disconnect somewhere. And it, it, a lot of times I tell people, it's like, well, why aren't guys playing? It's like, OK, here's what happens. You install things in the meeting room. You go from the meeting room to the practice field. You show you can do the practice field. You go from the practice field to the game. You show you can do it in the game, and then you get more reps. Somewhere in that chain is a disconnect, would be my guess. Um, I don't know the guy again, but somewhere in there is there's a trust issue maybe between him and the defensive staff. Maybe he's not performing in practice. I mean, just because we see a guy show out in game doesn't mean that he's not earning the trust during practice. Maybe he's not earning the trust. He's not doing it in practice. So you can't trust him to do it on the game on Sundays. Like somewhere in there is a disconnect. And I'd like to see them get that fixed because I do think he can be an absolute difference maker. When we're talking about a lack of pass rush, he's a guy I think is a mismatch when you line him up over guards. 
It's an interesting perspective uh, and, and very well could be that it could also be like the Cole Beasley conversation from last uh, last week with the Chiefs game where Sean McDermott kind of said, well, it's all game plan related. And that was the excuse that they used with AJ Epineza as well. So maybe, maybe there was just something they saw in film and they said, hey, you know, we need Harrison Phillips in this matchup. So we have to make one of one of our defensive ends inactive or one extra defensive end inactive. And, and AJ Epineza was the odd man out because they don't want to. Uh, put one of their two vets in that spot. Who knows? But it, it's definitely something to, to monitor, especially post by when you have the Dolphins, a team that he absolutely destroyed first first up on the schedule. If he's inactive again, I think that really raises some eyebrows. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Titans too. They're not a. They don't want to pass the ball fifty times a game. I mean, that's not. They're, they're a run downhill, hand it to that horse back there, and let him go. And if that truly is, I mean, that would make sense, right? Harry's more of an interior, try and run stopping guy versus Epinesa, who's true a little bit more wiggle guy. You don't want Epinesa eating the double teams between Roger Saffold and Taylor Lewan and and those guys, right? You want a bigger body, so that would make sense. And I do think sometimes us as media, and I'll put myself in that world now that we read into things maybe a little bit more than we should. But I do think that when you're talking about a D-line struggling for pass rush and then a guy goes inactive, it's really easy to be like, okay, I wonder what's going on here versus McDermott could be 100% right. Be like, no, we just had to stop the run. Like (laughs) in our world, that makes no sense. But in their world, that could make a ton of sense, which is why they make way more money than we do. You weren't around him for uh, you know a long time, but you know you spent some time um, that that summer with Dawson Knox. Um, mm-hmm. Got to know him a little bit, yeah, yeah. and he's listen. I mean, coming into this year, uh, the Dawson Knox fan club, you know, it's one of those ones. There was plenty of seats at the table. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I on this show we talk quite a bit about the traits, the guy, the work ethic. I mean, it's stuff that you see being in the building. I mean, it, the way people talk about him, they don't talk about all the young players like they talk about this guy. So I kind of always kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he's ex- absolutely exploded here. What have been your impressions of how he's played this year? And also, what do you do if you're the Bills? Because, you know, he if he's out for three or four weeks, I think they have a pretty, you know, easy schedule here up until uh, Thanksgiving. So I, I think they could probably go with Tommy Sweeney. But, what, you know, what are your thoughts on the whole situation and how Dawson's played? Well, I think the biggest thing is you love having two tight ends you can trust. And Tommy mm-hmm. Sweeney a is not he's not Dawson Knox, but he's a good player. And I'll say because when I talk about it, I'm going to get a little football here. Twelve personnel, mm-hmm. one back, two tight ends, right? It's the hardest personnel for a defense to defend because you then have to make the decision hey, do I defend against the run with these two big tight ends or do I put nickel into the game and have a smaller DB over here that can run with one of these tight ends in the past game? And so I've seen that the Bills have loved to do that. And I know Coach Dable loves 12 personnel. It's one of his favorite personnels to get into. And he likes to do different things with it. And so when you lose a guy like Dawson Knox, not only are you losing a great guy that's been electric down the field, he's been an outlet for Josh Allen, but it will tweak the way that they run the football too. And you already talked about a team that's struggling to run the football. I'm not even sure who the third or fourth tight end is for this team that they trust to put in there and, and, and play 15 to 30 snaps a game, depending on the game. Right. And so I think that's a little bit bigger of a story versus than like who replaces Dawson Knox. It's no, who becomes tight end number two and three who comes in on 13 personnel. Do they start doing more of the heavy offensive linemen? Hey, so and so. I'm not even sure. I mean, maybe is Bates and then 71. Maybe he'd be the guy that's like, hey, 71 reports is eligible or whatever it might be. And, and you start to see some of that coming off the field too because they want to stay in those big sets. But he's been so fun to watch. 
uh, another guy that you watched and again, it clicked, right? When you have a team full of young players and you see it click in and you see Josh really relying and really all the great quarterbacks in this league have really good tight ends. If you look across the board of who, who the really elite quarterbacks in the league are, you go Tom Brady's got Gronk and Howard, right? You go Baker Mayfield. He's got Njoku, right? You go, um, Oh, who is the guy that just got hurt in Arizona? We putting Baker Mayfield in the great quarterback conversation. I think he was playing pretty good. He was playing pretty good. <laughs> all right, good. all right. All I, right, I think right. he was playing good. I mean, dude's got a dislocated shoulder, so I might That's get true. him. A, That's I might give him That's a little fair. bit more credit. But who was the tight end that just got like his knee blown up in Arizona? I said Max Williams, but I'm not, I don't. I think that so like, was, but now you got Ertz down there. For, Ertz, yeah, yeah, you got Ertz down there now. It's like you look around the league. It's it's a trend. It's a trend that the great tight ends are with the really good quarterbacks. And so it's good to see the Bills have one of those because it's been a while since you've had like a legit go to tight end. What if we, what if we taught trade then? You know, one, one, there was, I don't even want to call it a report, more speculation. Uh, Evan Ingram, someone that played with mm-hmm. Dawson Knox at Ole Miss, uh, someone that is on a Giants team that is an absolute train wreck right now <laughs> that they could be selling parts. Um, he comes in, probably doesn't bring much from the blocking perspective, but I, I think you could also say that Knox at times, uh, maybe doesn't bring the blocking perspective. He's more of a, a game changer that can get open, make plays. And Ingram has the athleticism. Uh, it, so that's an option there. You could go to Atlanta. You could go to maybe a Hayden Hurst where obviously they, they uh, took a tight end at number four this year. They have Lee Smith, who is their best blocking tight end. So Hurst mm. is kind of like that man in the middle. He's not your best receiver. He's not your best blocker. And he's just kind of there. So there's options out there. It is tight end an area where maybe the Bills should look to trade or like to Matt's point, when, when you look at these next three weeks, especially uh, when you have the Dolphins post by, then you have the uh, Jacksonville, and then obviously you have the Jets. Those aren't exactly uh, teams that you're worried about too much in terms of being able to, to beat you offensively in a shootout or anything like that. So stand pat with what you have and maybe bring up someone from the practice squad. Uh, they do have two tight ends there. Or, or is this something where maybe they should go out and, and try to get someone in? You know, I, I'm not a big fan of trying to trade midseason for someone that's not out for the year, right? I mean, if, we, if we're sitting here going, hey, Dawson Knox is done, right? Like his season is is over, over. Then, yeah, you you might be going, okay, it's time to maybe make a trade because we have lightning in a bottle of a good team right now. We're only going to have so many opportunities to make this run that we're going to make. Right. Because that's how it works. You have teams that are really good for two, three years, and then that team gets picked apart and volts by the rest of the league. And then you kind of have to start over. So if you say, okay, we're missing a key piece, then we bring one in. But are you really willing? What are you willing to give up to bring a tight end in that you might only need for four or five weeks? Right. I mean, where do you look at this team or this roster and say, okay, we're willing to give you X piece for the rest of the year to get a piece for four or five weeks? And so I think that if they're, if this team's going to make a trade at whatever position it's going to be, it's going to be for a position that they think they need long-term help at for the next 10 plus weeks. And I don't think tight end is really that position right now. I agree. I think this is an opportunity to lean on your, uh, heavily paid uh, wide receiving room to make plays uh, against some bad teams coming up here. And I think Tommy Sweeney is a fine fill-in uh, in the meantime. They also have Reggie Gilliam. If you notice, the last couple of games especially, Brian Dable has been been playing uh, his tight end a lot in that fullback type of role. And Gilliam does that kind of both uh, pretty easily. Let me ask you this before I get you out of here. You are, what are we here? We're talking 2019. So we're talking like this is now the... Two years. I'm like 
two and a half years removed. Two and a half years removed. Okay. What What do you miss the most? The locker room, hanging out with the boys, the the trips, the plane rides, playing playing cards on the plane, and hanging out. And I'll tell you what I don't miss: running my face into someone else. Like <laughs> I, it's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you this: like I've went to, I cover like so. I do. I cover Huskers now, and I've gone to, and it's like, why did I do this? Like once you <laughs> once you kind of lose weight and you're kind of not as big as you used to be, and you're around, you're like, man, this was. This was tough. Like that was hard. So I mean, I don't miss that, but I do miss the comp- the competition, competing every day with the best of the world. Like you, you can't mimic that. Mm-hmm. Um, the competition, and but really just the friendships and hanging out around the dudes a lot. Do you feel like you know you you played some ball? I mean, you 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 had you had a lot, you had more NFL snaps than I think people realize. Mm-hmm. But do you feel because of that that you maybe saved your body a little bit because you didn't? maybe start for 10 years and go through all that? Or do you go through so much in practice that it kind of doesn't matter? It, I mean, it, 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 no one makes it out of the league unscathed. It is just a matter of how effed up are you when you actually get out of the league. And so, I mean, I just actually had my line of duty, which is a benefit. And they were like, well, you got some arthritis in your ankles and your shoulders and your knees and like hedge, like just all the way down. Right. <laughs> and so it's just kind of like, okay, well, how long do I have before I got to start getting things replaced? And I mean, I did have those two major ankle surgeries, which is essentially what made me have to retire. But I do think that some of the guys that play those 10 years are just such physical freaks. that like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like it, it, they just walk out and then like, I mean, you look at Joe Thomas, dude lost 80 pounds and he's just like, yeah, I'm fine. It's like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like had Marshall mm-hmm. Yonda, right? The dude looks like he's just Joe Blow watching around. And so I think the elites, the elites have something special, but I do think that, because I wasn't that long with starter, hopefully I have a little bit more on the back end, but I still got plenty of fair, my fair share of issues to deal with around here. So Jeremiah, what was your card game of choice on the, on the flights and uh, who did you like playing cards with the most? So we played Boure, um a lot, which I didn't know until I got there. And Pat DeMarco was the ringleader of it all. Mm. Um, it was usually me, Pat, uh, probably be Ike would jump in there. Ryan Groy. And that was usually kind of the crew that would, and then we'd usually, sometimes we go over to Pat's house and hang out and play some cards. But I mean, some of those flights are long, man. Buffalo's a long ways away. Like when you, when you're going from Buffalo to freaking Miami and you're like, well, that's, that's a trek. Or I mean, and so it was just those, those are things you just miss. Like you, and when you're in it, you're like hanging with your friends and it's, it's competition and all that stuff. But it's just, you don't realize how much you miss that kind of stuff until it literally just is gone. And I mean, that's kind of the thing. And I, I still talk with Ike all the time and chat with a lot of guys around the league that I played with all the time. And people always ask me, like, what team do you root for? I was like, I don't root for a team. Like, I root for my buddies. Like, I root for I root for my boys that I played with and I, I bled with and I sweat with and went through it all. And which is why I cheer for, I mean, the teams that are up on the wall behind me. I mean, Chargers, Vikings, Bills, right? I mean, those are where still a lot of my friends are at. Does uh does every time you talk to DeMarco, does he bring up uh, January 2nd, 2012, Capital One Bowl? Is that something that was discussed? Yeah, he likes, he likes he likes he likes to make sure I remember. He he, he likes to make sure we should have won that damn game. Oh, uh, it's still too soon. I'm sorry about. No, that. it's not. It's not I mean, shoot, we haven't been to a bowl game since. It feels like so. I mean, it can't be that soon. Also, I see All a little right. Buffalo flag behind you. How'd you like that? Uh, at least we beat them this year. The yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was one. Yeah, you, you, you kind of knew what was coming, and you kind of sit down at the TV, and you just. <laughs> 
you know, yes, sir, may I have another? You know what's coming <laughs> in that kind of game. So uh, it, it's been a, it's been a, you know, it's a transition year, obviously. Yes. Uh, Maurice Lindquist in there and, uh, you know, going through, I think they've done pretty good to this point, but yeah, not in Nebraska. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't play them last year. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo, the Buffalo of last year before the coach left and took everyone with him to Kansas was salty squad. <laughs> salty yeah. squad. Yeah, J- J- Jared Patterson uh, now in the league. Uh, they had a couple of really good players. Look at Tyree Jackson. Speaking of which, I yeah. mean, I'm really excited about potentially what he can do now uh, coming back off of IR in Philadelphia. They traded Zach Ertz. He, maybe he could be that running uh, that running mate for Dallas Goddard. We'll see. All right, we took up way too much of your time. Get back to that family. Uh, let everybody know before we get you out of here where they can find you one more time and, and anything you got coming up. Yeah. So again, you can follow me on Twitter, Searles71 underscore HSKR right there. I'm also on Instagram, jsearles 71 And if you are a Husker fan, I do a ton of Husker content. I do a lot of film breakdown, which even if you're not a Husker fan, it's kind of a full football fan thing. Uh, I have a big board that I do every single week called Tale of the Tape, where I basically it's a little bit of a football education deal that I love to do. I post that on my Twitter every single week. That's been a ton of fun to do. And then uh, just kind of catch me around. Uh, hopefully I'll be at the combine. So I'll run into you guys at the combine again this year, if the world decides to open back up in normal, which I sure hope it does. And then uh, senior bowls and all kinds of stuff with the agent gig. So I'll be running all around still be involved in the NFL and looking forward to see some people in person again. That's awesome. And you got to, uh, Gotta get to Buffalo for a game. I, I, I saw do. you. I, I saw do. you fiending for it. I do. So we'll I, get you up here and uh, we'll do some wings. I need. I need to do. That. I mean, I, I went to. The, so I was at the AFC Championship game last year in mm-hmm. Kansas City, and then you went I through saw, a table. I went we, through a table. Had a few pops, and uh, <laughs> I saw how many people took over Nashville, and I was like, people were just like, "Why do you love the Bills so much?" I was like, because they're nuts, but yeah. like in the greatest way. Like they're crazy in the most amazing way. Like we're six and ten, and then we come out the on Friday afternoon and the entire parking lot's full. And then Sunday afternoon there's bonfires. Like you can't explain it to people that haven't been there. It's like, they're just nuts, but they're the best. Jeremiah Searles, my man delivers once again. Thank you so much. Enjoy uh, your week and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Go bills. Let's open up some questions. Uh, I I saw some in here earlier. Uh, I know that there were a lot of people wondering about trade deadline, offensive line. So if you have a question, go ahead and shoot them into the chat now, and I'll get to as many of them as I can until uh, Matt gets back in. So while he's doing that, if you have any questions, get into it. Um, I'll talk to you a little bit while Matt's getting back into this about some targets that I was looking at. You know, Andrew Norwell is someone that I mentioned earlier, but as Matt and Jeremiah mentioned, there's going to be a large cap hit. Uh, if you bring in someone like that, you are bringing in an elite talent at guard if you do that. And, and if Brandon Bean feels like he can make the money work uh, in a championship window, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mentioned two tight ends where you have Evan Ingram or Hayden Hurst, and it looks like Matt's getting back in right now. So, you know, if, if there's any, oh, how worried are you about the punter? I am glad that question came in here. Uh, I am a little bit worried about the punter in terms of the release time more than anything else. And maybe that's blocking up front because he needs that additional time. I thought there was a very close uh, kick out of his two punts. I thought there was one that was really close to getting blocked on Monday Night Football. And I want to say that was the punt that only went about 40 yards, too. So uh, it wasn't even the good punt of the two. So, yeah, th- there's a little bit here that that concerns me about it. Uh, in terms of regular season record, I, I still have them around that 13-14 win threshold, even after this loss before the bye. Uh, last question, what about trading for a running back? 
I I still think the Bills have a lot of confidence in-house in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And listen, there's some intriguing names that might be available. Marlon Mack is definitely available in Indy. He's someone that wants out. They're looking for a trade partner there. Uh, I've read pieces that said, you know, maybe you can get a Miles Sanders via trade. I don't know what that would cost, though. Uh, if there's someone out there that the Bills really do think is a significant upgrade, they might at least inquire. They might kick the tires on it. But I think they still have confidence in both of those guys. They they think that Matt Breida still brings something from that home run threat. I know he hasn't been active lately. And even Antonio Williams on the practice squad, he, sh- he you know, week 17 last year when he had his opportunity, he really flashed and and looked great. All right, let's bring in Sarah Holland before we get out of here. She's been in the chat and what's up, Sarah? What, what do you got for us? So earlier in the chat, I actually saw a lot of panic from some fans um, specifically about John Feliciano. And I was wondering what you guys thought about his performance on Monday and if fans should be panicked. I, I'm not going to say panicked. Listen, um, he was going against one of the, the better young defensive tackles on that final snap of the game. Uh, someone that I think would have been a, maybe the first second defensive tackle off the board if there weren't a few red flags on him um and the the second part of that is everyone knew what play was coming on, on fourth and one or fourth and inches you knew it was going to be a Josh Allen sneak you knew that he converted it 13 out of 14 times before that or something along those lines he generally likes to go to his left uh to Feliciano's side so it was kind of a perfect storm in terms of uh I don't want to say what not to do but in terms of, of who they were going against and, and guys that they had to match up with maybe it would have been better to go over center with Mitch Morris who who definitely plowed ahead and had some space or, or Daryl Williams. But, you know, you, you can't second guess yourself. You, you trust your team. As, as McDermott said, you take Josh Allen 10 times out of 10. And, and I think more times than not, that play works. Josh Allen did slip to a certain extent. Uh, the line was beat, but he, if he hadn't slipped, maybe he still gets it because he's such a big guy. He, he keeps the legs moving more times than not. So, I'm not too worried about him. I did see someone earlier in the show saying just about the overall offensive line in general when we were talking about trade targets that Josh Allen has all the time in the world to throw. There are certain plays where he has a lot of time. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like a lot of the time there's at least one guy that gets through and Josh Allen has to elude them, has to get by them, has to roll to his right, and then he hits someone. So it's a little mix of everything. But Feliciano specifically, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm worried more about him than anyone else. What about you, Matt? No, and does he miss some blocks from time to time? Sure. I mean, honestly, at this point, all five of these guys have missed blocks at times. I mean, Mitch Morse, I think, has been the most consistent offensive lineman of the five through the first six games of the season, and he had maybe the biggest blunder of the day uh, that led to a sack, uh, just pressure up the gut. And so I think what he brings from a physicality standpoint, and I know fans get kind of tired of hearing about that, but you do need a little bit of nasty on your offensive line. And I also think what he brings from a communication standpoint, everybody that I talked to on that offensive line raves about Feliciano's ability to communicate calls, like, you know, being on Deion Dawkins side. And I think Daryl Williams talked about it when he played next to John Feliciano. It, it's you're sometimes out on an island on, on on that tackle spot and having a guy at the guard spot that's really smart, that's really able to get the calls to you and communicate and help with switches. And especially with Josh Allen changing so much at the line of scrimmage this year, you need guys that are able to kind of function in that chaos. And I think Feliciano does a really good job of that. Anything else, Sarah? 
Yeah, just one more thing. I noticed that there was also some mixed emotions about Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And, you know, some people were impressed um, and some people were concerned. So I just wanted to see what you guys had to say to the fans in the chat um, that obviously had that concern and praise for the running back um, group. So when it comes to the running backs, uh, I thought Devin Singletary started the game very well. He had that 14-yard run where he broke a few tackles. He showed some some good burst uh, late in the game. The Bills tried to give Zach Moss a handoff. It didn't go mu- uh, much of anywhere, and he ended up averaging about three yards per carry. But we've also seen that flipped around where it's been then Moss that's been five yards plus per carry. Singletary's been in that 3-4 range. Um on any given basis. So it's been inconsistent, but with the way that the Bills pass the ball around, they've they've been a little bit more balanced this year. But in a game like this, this specific game against the Titans, I wasn't expecting them to run the ball a lot. They were going up against a team that had a very banged up secondary that became even more banged up in game where Caleb Farley left with uh, what appears to be a season ending injury. Unfortunately, again, a guy that I was really high on hope for a speedy recovery for for him. Uh, another cornerback went down twice with, with injuries in that game. So, when they're already weak at that position or in that in that back end and they're losing more in game, I wasn't shocked that the Bills were throwing it 47 times with Josh Allen. It, it was the right call then, but but obviously, you know, you do want there to be a little bit more of a balance to keep teams off guard, especially like in the red zone area, as Jeremiah mentioned earlier in the show. Yeah, I think um, I think Singletary has been been better than I expected. I, I think that. The problem with what the Bills do in the running game is that it doesn't give either of these guys any runway to get comfortable. And, you, you know, I think a lot of the, the two running backs in particular, and I think any running back, I mean, take Tarek Henry into, I mean, he's, he's on pace to run the football more than anybody in the history of the NFL this season. And I think that there's a reason why he's been so productive is that, you know, when you're able to have that many chances, it's only a matter of time before you make something big happen. I like the way that Devin Singletary has run the ball this year. I thought that run that he had in the first half where he dragged a couple tacklers, I, I thought was really good. His, his yards per average numbers compared to Moss are, are considerably better. Uh, through the first six games. And I think they're kind of a nice duo um, in that department. I'd almost like to see them a little bit more. I, 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 But I'll say that the thing that I've been most impressed about with these two all year has been specifically Moss and his ability to make plays in the passing game. I think they're just kind of scratching the surface with what that can mean for this offense. But yeah, I uh, I don't have any concerns about Devin Singletary. Somebody's asking if it's a contract year. And no, it's not. This is mm-hmm. his third season. Jeremiah Searles, thank you so much. Uh, for Sarah Holland, Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We will be back next week. Let's get a, let's get a couple days off here. Let's uh, recharge the batteries. Um, we got a, hopefully fingers crossed. We got a nice guest next week that's in the works. We're really excited about. So stay tuned for that. Hit that like button and subscribe as well. Share, uh, the episode, uh, wherever you, uh, can on social media. Download it on all the audio platforms too. We always forget about we always forget about that here on the YouTube and the Facebook show, but it's uh, it's somewhere where you can always go to and get uh, your podcast as well. If you're hosting a large party this week or this weekend, check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by Tops' Carryout Cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy foodball. All right, guys, we're out of here. Have a great week and weekend. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.